Hey everybody, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and this is DCI number 116. In this episode, Brian and I are talking to Matt Riggs of Clapfoot Games to talk about their new game, Fortified. Fortified is a tower defense game with third-person shooter elements steeped in awesome 1950s sci-fi stuff. It's, it's fantastic looking. For more information about the game, head on over to darkstation.com. There you can find the show notes to this episode where you will find links and trailers and all kinds of good stuff to learn all you want to about Fortified. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now on with the show. Let's get started here. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the Darkcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yes. It's, it's not too cold. It's, That's uh, fantastic. Like, it's just cold enough that I, I'm like wearing a, a hoodie right now, which I don't... Actually, I, I do normally wear hoodies now. I got, I got a, a wrestling hoodie, and I, I never watch wrestling, but it's like super comfy, so I wear that all the time now. What's on the wrestling hoodie? It's a great um, question. It is on the wrestling hoodie. It, it says uh, W... Well, it's the WWE logo, but it really just looks like a W. And oh, it says that's... 2K16. Oh, okay. So it's it's so, for the game. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big wrestling fan, uh, as as it turns out. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I was curious, but it's just kind of a logo. So Yeah, it's just it's just yeah. a logo. It's kind of a buzzkill. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to, to dash your dreams <laughs> no, there. No, it's all but, right. um, but be confident that, like, despite the fact that it's just a logo, like, it is a super comfy um hoodie so yeah well, that's, that, that's why i wear it because you know i i don't watch wrestling i i played i played uh 2k15 uh for a couple of hours before i went to the event to preview uh 2k16 and that was the first and last time i played wrestling <laughs> since i played like royal rumble on um like a, a genesis i think so that Royal Rumble game was really good, though. It was, right? I played that for hours. That was great. You get, like, four people in that, just tag-teaming and just all, all kinds of chaos. It was great. It's great. I liked it. I, I, sorry, go ahead. Go for it. I was just going to say I liked it because it got really goofy and all the characters had, like, superpowers. Yeah. It's, like, really strange. It was, it was good. I was going to say that the comfy hoodie gives you the full WWE experience because you have a, <laughs> a nice crafted product and then you realize that the rest is... Kind of questionable, <laughs> and we like it because we hate each other. I mean, that's that's why we like most games because we that's get right. to either hit each other or hit other things. <laughs> uh, I think anyway. Anyway, um, let's let's get off of whatever that tangent was. Matt, you you are a Clapfoot Games, yes, Clapfoot. and you guys are making Fortified. But before yes. we get into the game, let's talk about you. Let's let's go behind the scenes. On Matthew Riggs. Also, Clapfoot sounds kind of deadly. <laughs> What's going on there? Um. Well, uh, we'll start with Cla- the name Clapfoot, and then, and then we can move on. Uh, Clapfoot is uh, my the co-founder of the company, Mark. Um, he got it because him and his friends used to clap with their feet. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that that's 100% accurate, but that's the story that I heard. <laughs> so I, thought, I, I, I use my son's feet to clap all the time. I even have a song that goes around with it. So, I mean, that's <laughs> I, I think that's standard fare. It's um, kind of weird that adults do it, but whatever. I mean, you know, I'm not judging. <laughs> I think he was drunk and in college. I'm not sure. But that's that's sort of the genesis of, of Clapfoot, the name. Yeah, it does. 
it does kind of sound like a disease, you know? It's, <laughs> we get yeah, we get that a lot. <laughs> oh, you've got the clap foot. I'm yeah. I'm sorry. It's, uh, did you have to get anything amputated? Um, but nice. Uh, what what do you do at uh, at the clap foot? So I do a wide range of things. Um, primarily, I'm on fortified. Uh, I was the the game designer, like the lead game designer, and uh, I also did a lot of the art and level design. Uh, but it was mostly like on the technical side of art, not so much like the the content creation side. So that's like building the level, doing the lighting, uh, doing all the effects, stuff like that. Um, but a big part of the job, my job on Fortified, was also game design. So, you know, establishing mechanics for everybody to work on, like. Uh, writing documents and like tuning and balancing the game and adjusting when things worked or didn't work or whatever. Um, so that that was like my favorite part of the job anyway. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the down low. Nice. What what's kind of like a, a day in the life of doing all of that kind of stuff? Like what what is it? How are you going about balancing all that? I assume you've got testers and stuff like that. But what? How are you kind of? culling all that information and, and choosing what to, to change and boy that's that. a fantastic question <laughs> yeah so uh, a game like Fortified which is a, Fortified is like a, a base defense game with third person shooting so there's a lot of items in the game and there's lots of upgrades and stuff so that's really difficult uh, there's a lot of stuff to think about and we had, um, we had a couple of QA testers and I worked uh, once everything was in place and the game was like moving forward at a rapid pace and we were kind of polishing everything up, that was the moment where uh, I sat down with one of the QA testers and just worked every day and we did tons and tons of builds of the game just working out all the kinks and trying to, he was amazing at the game, so he would just like burn through things and he'd be like, hey Matt, this is totally broken, this wouldn't work and we'd make notes and then we'd sit down and we'd play it and we'd figure out what was working, what wasn't and it was, I think, uh, you know, several weeks of that, just that to kind of get things in place to balance it. Um, coming up with the ideas and getting everything in place was even harder just like, because you don't know sometimes if something works until it does, until you kind of get it in the game and, and so... Um, you know, we went through several iterations on all the different items, uh, like different concepts that we would kind of completely throw out and bring in new ones. And and uh, and I think uh, what we've gotten to is like a really tight collection of of items that that work really well and mechanics that that kind of are harmonious together. And and that's kind of what we were going for. So a, d- a day in the life is a lot of stress, <laughs> especially <laughs> during especially during like the polish phase. Um, it's just like. This isn't working at all. What will we do? And then it's coming up with creative ways to get it to work and get it to feel really good because that's that's what we are shooting for. Hmm. How do you how do you go about polishing like something that's you know focused on being a, a multiplayer experience? Obviously, you have people that are playing it and trying to break it, but I feel like there's just so many more ways to break it than when you've got something that's like a, a linear story campaign that's. I don't know, I guess you can kind of assume that most people are sort of going to pay attention-ish to what's going on and not go off to the left when you're only supposed to go straight and break it there, and so you can focus on that straight line. How do you how do you polish something that's, you know, it, kind of a sandbox sort of thing where anything can happen and everything can break? Um, I think restricting the amount of things that can go wrong outside of the core gameplay like mechanics um so for fortified it, it's 
it's a base offense game and you shoot things. So we didn't really want to give too many more places for, for people to break things. Like it, it became really clear after like a couple of like uh, events. So we would go to packs and stuff that people are going to find stuff. And so we, we take note out of everything everybody was doing. We just try to like uh, restrict that from even being possible. Like, and then, but still, we want people to have fun and like jump around and be like goof off and stuff, and obviously try things and do physics and stuff. But you know, you you definitely don't want things getting stuck on buildings and just like flying all over the place, like in kind of a wild way. So it's sort of like balancing like what you're restricting with what you're allowing to be free, and just kind of keeping an eye on that, especially during playtesting, especially during PAX events, because this is where you get like just hundreds of people playing the game, right? So that I those events are full of people just doing physics. Oh yeah, like there would be, you know, you know, one of my best examples is there's this kid, he was about like eight years old, he came in and just completely wiped out the demo in a way that we never thought was even possible. And we were just like, what is happening? And it just was amazing to us to, like, to see what people would discover. So only by playtesting over and over and over, getting new eyes on the game, getting people who think completely outside the box, are you really going to stop that? I mean, I mean, we may not have stopped everything. I hope we did. <laughs> but but like um, we definitely want people to have fun and be free but also we don't want the game to break and, and like you said in multiplayer it's hard because you're also dealing with like network lag and, and stuff like that that sort of cause all kinds of havoc especially when you're shooting or something like anything can happen over a network so it's it's just managing that and, and building good network tools that we that we use to actually help to make those things work the way they're supposed to um, and testing the testing I can't like stress that enough <laughs> Always testing. Just keep testing. That's really important. I, I think that's one of the biggest lessons we learned as well is just get new eyes on it constantly because you're going to not have all the answers with just like your team because you're so close to it. Sure. Indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, how many people do you have working on the game? Um, we had seven core members of the team. So we had four programmers and three artists. Um and then we had some contractors to do illustrations and music and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so mainly, though, like full-time, it was seven people. Very cool. Very cool. Where are you guys located? Uh, Toronto, Canada. Okay. And uh, how long have you actually been working on Fortified? Um, by the time it Riz releases on February 3rd, uh, it will be, uh, I think, two years. Okay. Almost like to the month, I think. I was looking at some documents that were... About two years ago. Wow. Now, is that from, like, initial inception or once you kind of really started working on stuff? And, and you, um, you I, think, I think this was from, like, initial inception. Okay. Like, um, we had done a couple, like, two years ago, around this time, around January, we'd done um, some, you know, documents and prototyping with uh, some other ideas and then sort of Fortified came about. And then uh, it went through a bunch of iterations before, I think, around GDC time is when we did the first official demo called Fortified. Um, or maybe it was even called something else. Uh, I can't even remember. But uh, it, was, it was so, you know, a couple months down the road, it, that's when we started really working on Fortified. Cool. Very cool. So, so what is Fortified? We got an email, and it said something like, Pixel Junk Monsters meets Team Forgers 2. <laughs> so naturally, I'm thinking weird tower defense with hats. Am I right? Uh, I, I mean, you know, the hats part. <laughs> um, it's a base defense game. 
Uh, it's a big explosive arcade action game, and those two things mixed together. And it's about uh, Martian robots invading the Earth in the 1950s, um, and you play as a pulp-inspired hero. Um, so basically, we took everything from the 1950s that we like, all the like campy movies, comic books, um, like even even in some cases like just pulpy fiction, and uh, wrap them all together into this like base defense game that has uh, third person shooting. That's sort of the <laughs> the basic uh, rundown. Nice, nice. So it, obviously, that like I mean, looking at pictures, the the Martians are definitely like Martians in the Mars attacks. You know, Santa Claus meets the Martian sense of coming in with their. Uh, crazy robots and and uh, and uh, UFOs. Um, so what what's going on? Who are or who's defending us from this ridiculousness? Um, so the, America's army has hired the best of the best to come in and lead the charge against the Martians. The Martians are attacking key locations around the world, and uh, you, as a hero, one of the heroes of the American army, are trying to fire these deadly hydrogen bombs. Or uh, we had we had an official word for them. I can't remember what it is at the moment. But uh, into the Martian Armada to try to stop them. So you need to protect these bombs, these rockets that are going to be fired into the Armada. And if you don't, then the world will end. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> that's that's high stakes right there. That's not yeah. good at all. <laughs> <laughs> how how many um how many rockets are there to defend? How how many? Salvos are we throwing at the Martians? Um, many. Uh, there are uh, m- uh, 15 maps over uh, several, a couple different game modes. Uh, there are sometimes multiple rockets per map. Sure. So, uh, you know, uh, your rocket is essentially your base that you're defending. Um, so, uh, quite a few. Sweet. So, what, what happened? Do we get to see, like, the Martians blowing up if we succeed? And the the rocket launches and they all explode. Or? Um, the rocket launches. Uh, we do have we have we have uh, some cutscenes in the game. They're all done in like motion comics. Uh, so so that's where like most of the story is told. There isn't too much like in game cutscenes. It's a it's a we're a pretty small team, so we focus on getting that part into like a s- smaller scope sure. thing. So so but it's really cool. I think the comics are, are really great. They're they were illustrated by uh, Marco D'Alfonso. He's a local artist. Uh, he was he was featured on Polygon and, and some other stuff for doing like these retro, um, like Resident Evil and uh, Captain America and all these like kind of retro looking illustrations. So we were like we found them and we found out he was from Toronto or just like in Mississauga, which is just. Uh, outside of Toronto, and we we're like, oh, that's really cool. I think like if we can get him to work with us, this is our guy, and uh, he did a really good job. So awesome! Yeah, I uh, I saw one of the uh, the trailers that had some of the motion comics in it, and it looks it looks like straight out of like the uh, golden and, and silver age, or I guess golden age of of comics. Like it's it's super like forties and and fifties. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what we. That's why we picked him because he just had he had it right, yeah. and like we wanted it to look as authentic as we could uh, to that time period. Which is weird, like staring at it. Like it doesn't look like old in terms of quality because there's some like especially stuff from the '80s, kind of like mm-hmm. those comics kind of look old in a weird way that I don't really understand what it is. But there's something about these that like it looks new, but then it looks old. 
I can't like I'm probably not even making sense right now. Yeah, no, it's, I, I it's I good totally, stuff. It doesn't look dated. Yeah, but there you it go. looks like it comes out of a time period. And then you know, obviously, I think like the game in general, like that's what we were trying to go for. Is like it, it wanted to look modern. You know, we built it with UE4. We wanted to use it <laughs> to like its best ability, but we also wanted to have a retro feeling without it looking like an old game. And that's what we were trying. That's kind of like overall like the aesthetic that we were going for. Nice. Uh, so there's, <laughs> wait, real quick. There is a on uh, Marco Del. Or, how is his last name pronounced? Delfonso, I think. Delfonso. Okay. Uh, he has a picture of Hodor X, and it is Hodor with Professor X riding on his back. That yeah. is amazing. He kind of you know when your when your you know, mechanical wheelchair breaks down. I mean, the only thing left to do is Hodor. have Hodor carry you. That's. Uh. That's, that's how that goes. That is the next logical conveyance for Professor X. I mean, sure, it's just, but it's brilliant. It's great. It's, yeah, he had, anyway. he had a really good sense of humor, too, and obviously, you know, obviously we weren't going for real serious, so... Um, uh, well, except for the part where everybody dies. Well, I mean, yeah. do, they, do they die or do they get knocked out? I mean, you don't sure. really know. Yeah. Um, right. with, with, uh, with us defending hydrogen bombs... Um, that we're going to launch the aliens. Uh, what other kind of technology do we have at our disposal in, in the 50s? Is this all period appropriate, or are we uh, granted a little bit of like the, um, the the fallout 50s, if you will? So it's period appropriate if you're talking about 1950s sci-fi. So, <laughs> so you have so, okay. you have like laser guns and uh, uh, different kinds of like contraptions. So um, uh, one of the weapons that comes out of the bunker. Yeah, yeah, you know, we have, you know, like, uh, uh, Thompson rifles, uh, kind of standard stuff, like shotguns, but, you know, they might have, like, a, a Tesla slug that kind of bounces lightning off everything, um, so it's okay. kind of like a twist, uh, you know, we put as much sci-fi and cool stuff as we could, instead. so instead of just a rifle, maybe it's a rifle that shoots three boats at the same time, but it's a Thompson, so we kind of tried to, um, take gameplay as far as we could with like traditional weaponry so it's not like physically accurate it's not like our thompson rifle is like a real thompson it doesn't mm. shoot like that it shoots like a, it's more of an arcade style thing but we have you know we have death beams and we have uh like freeze rays and and you know ice mist guns and lots, nice. lots of lots of stuff like like that um so what, what is the difference between an ice mist gun and a freeze ray well the freeze ray is a shot that will freeze an enemy solid. The ice mist will only slow enemies, but it has a much bigger like uh, AOE radius, mm. right? So you can stand. It's 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 like short range, almost like a shotgun, but you can like channel it, and it'll slow everything in inside of it. So one of the characters, uh, the spaceman, uh, his entire gimmick is that he brings uh, ice to the to the battlefield. So he's, you know, he's all about crowd control. So. His role in a four-player, if you're playing with four people, you know, his role will be hold everybody back. Like, keep everything at bay when we're gonna, the other three characters are going to come and blow it up. Um, and so with, uh, with the, the cryoblaster, is what it's called, um, he can stand in the front line and slow everything down so that it can't get close. He could use the freeze ray, which will freeze him solid, but he won't be able to cover as much area. You see, so that's those are the kind of like considerations that you're gonna make. You may not even want to use the, you may want to use a shotgun or a TNT launcher, or you know, there's a, a number of different options for upgrades as well. So like, those are the types of, of of choices that you can make. You can light them on fire instead. 
which does damage over time, which might be more valuable depending on the circumstance. So, so can can you light people on fire as you're freezing them, or is that a different weapon? That they will, yeah. I mean, they're de- definitely different weapons. Okay. So, like, the captain has a flamethrower. Um, okay. But you want to, you know, you want to manage what your what your friends are bringing too, because like, or or how you're like kind of staggering the effects, because if you do freeze enemies. And then you light them on fire, it will cancel each other out. Hmm. So you got to be careful about that. But or you can light them on fire, and then when they hit a certain point, you can set it up so they all get frozen, and then they get blown away by like an anti-tank gun. So there's lots of different considerations you can make in terms of the different effects that you're bringing. But that those types of mechanics are really prevalent in like, especially when you're playing multiplayer, because you're going to have so much more, like so many more characters in the mix. If you're playing on solo, then uh, you're going to have to figure out like what you can use in your own loadout to kind of like bring it because you can bring more items when you're playing on your own but it's not going to be as many as if you're playing with four players okay so the even though each individual person brings less the total amount of items brought is still more when you have four people yeah it's just it's slightly more yeah gotcha now, when you're playing, if you play the game by yourself, are is is it always like a four person affair? Do you have like squad mates or anything, or is it is it just you defending the missiles against the Martians? Um, it's just you. Um, we do have a, a type of item called infantry. Uh, they are they are our 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 turrets are called structures. So, um, the infantry are a kind of structure that basically you can command them around. Um, they're kind of like uh, a s- squad that you can give orders to. So um, you can send them to your base. You can have them follow you around. You can put them at a location to defend that's like not where you place them initially. So they're kind of like this fluid structure that isn't like bound to one location, um, which makes them super valuable, especially on solo. I, w- I would say like if you're playing like you know solo insane mode, um, which is like the hardest difficulty in the game, um, it's it's probably you're probably going to want to use infantry because they can they can defend things when you're not there so if you're in a pinch you can send them to a base that you can't get to because you're dealing with something else and that really works really well it it becomes like kind of this uh, like the best players that i've seen will like use infantry like micromanaging them which is really crazy and cool um but they can't they can be knocked out so uh, they'll be out of the fight for a little bit if if you're not careful with them. So if you just like plunge them into the depths of like a big huge like army of Martians coming at you, they're gonna probably get knocked out. So you gotta just not waste them because then if you're relying on them, then they'll die and then you know or not die, they get knocked out. They don't die. Um, so that's that's kind of that's a way to kind of make single player also feel a little bit more dynamic as well, but you get them in multiplayer as well. I mean, if you want to use them okay. in multiplayer, so. Now, when, when you say they get knocked out for a while, are they, like, knocked out for the rest of the wave, or is there, like, a time limit on them? Or? Um, there's a time limit on them. They'll come back. Okay. Yeah. Is that the way all of the, the structures work? Like, if a, can a turret be blown up, and does it have a timer, or how, how does that work? Um, no, all the structures are indestructible, except for the infantry. That's kind of their downside. Gotcha. It's like they're great because you can manage them and you can move them around, but they're also the only structure, kind of structure that's vulnerable. Right, because so. if they were invulnerable, then you wouldn't need the heroes. You would just send a bunch of infantry down there because they can't die. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So that's yeah. that's kind of the 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 trade off that you have to make because like a static uh, structure is not going to be 
it's not going to go away. We do have uh, uh, enemies that will shut down static structures that infantry are invulnerable to, so there's another layer on top of that. Um, so it's like, you know, if the disruptors are coming, then you might want to have infantry in that area where the disruptors are going to be coming through because if you put turrets down or structures down, then they might get shut down and then it'll just leak everything else through, and you definitely don't want that to happen. Um, sure. So. These are those are the kind of like the kind of tactical decisions that you have to make, like in from map to map. So, cool. With with this being the pulp B50s, um, are we also worried about the Red Menace, or um, is this kind of a worldwide concerted effort? In the initial inception of the game, <laughs> uh, it was a worldwide effort. Um, but as we kind of started like narrowing down on the story and everything we wanted to do, we thought it would be a little bit more focused if it was like just about America. So um, basically, it's just American soldiers, and it's the American army defending American soil. Okay. Especially given like 1950s comics were very patriotic, and it was kind of a th- it was just a thing at that point that we felt like it, it kind of fit a little bit better. But we definitely thought about having it kind of be a worldwide thing and bringing in, like, having, like, the Americans and the Russians, like, join together and kind of be this force against the Martians. And But, uh, but like, you know, it just didn't end up working out in terms of what we were trying to accomplish. So it kind of, conf- it kind of complicated things in a way. We were trying to keep it kind of as sort of distilled as we could. And when it started to get, like, complicated with the story, it kind of took away from the, the gameplay a little bit which we obviously didn't want to do. Sure. Now, now you mentioned the uh the spaceman and the captain. Uh who are our other other heroes or classes that that we get to play as and kind of how are they all different? Um so the spaceman, first of all, he's crowd control. I kind of went through him. Mm-hmm. Uh the captain is all about he is infantry. He he is the guy who brings the infantry. He's the captain. Um so the spaceman's each character has like a heroic power. Um, the spaceman's heroic power is he creates a giant ice bubble around him, and he will freeze anything inside that bubble solid for as long as he's near them. So that's obviously very useful. Um, the captain, he will buff all the other players in infantry and make them stronger uh, for a period of time, and he also calls down a mortar strike every few mo- every few seconds. So he's kind of like, he's commanding, essentially. Um, the other two characters, the agent and the rocket scientist... Um, the agent is like a, a secret agent who works out of Area 51. He's got a lot of knowledge about the Martians already. Um, his his thing is he can take bigger Martians down faster than anybody else. He's kind of the biggest like single hit guy. Um, hmm. He has a heroic power. His heroic power is um, classified intelligence, so he knows a lot more about the Martians. Um, so he can deal more damage to them. So he deals way more damage than anybody else while he's using his heroic power. Um, and the rocket scientist, she is someone who likes to tinker, and she likes to build bombs and blow things up, and she likes to build rockets. Um, and so she strapped on a jetpack and thought it would be a good idea to fly around, and she loves to blow things up, so why not Martians? Um, so she's all about like big AOE damage, big explosive stuff. She's fast. Uh, her, her heroic power is she flies around on the jetpack, and she has unlimited ammo, so it's basically you can get to an area that's like being leaking really bad, and just like carpet bomb them and kind of throw everybody around and sort of save the day. Um, that's the general rundown of each of the characters. Now the the uh, the rocket scientist, uh, she seems kind of kind of like the rocketeer. Which uh, I mean, the issues is, there is, in, is great. 
yeah, she was very inspired. Like we, you know, we looked at Pulp Fiction and um, anything that was inspired by the '50s, anything that was in the '50s, and we kind of just wanted to make it like a big mishmash of all those things. Sure. So we had to have a jetpack. <laughs> like, yeah, had, absolutely. Yeah. My my real question though is, does Timothy Dalton pop up at any point? I just, wish I, I wish I, I had a thought about it. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> just randomly, you know, he's he's a citizen that's running away scared. I don't, I don't he should have been the narrator. Or, I don't know. Or hey, yeah, that would. I'm sure he'd do it. You know, <laughs> I can be a patch later on. It'll be great. <laughs> just play as Timothy Dalton. He's just, it's just James Bond, right? Or that? Yes. That that, that could that was, absolutely be DLC. That was fifties, like, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Sure, yeah, that's accurate. I mean, the 80s yeah. and the 50s, that's all the same that's thing. That's the same thing. Well, Don't worry, I mean, it's totally the same thing. That's, you know, Dalton wasn't Bond until the 80s, but, I mean, Bond is from, like, the, what, originally in the, what, 50s? So, yeah, why not? I think the books were written in the 40s, so we're good. Absolutely. It, it makes it makes perfect sense. As much sense as, as anything, you know, Martians in, in space suits and rocket jets make sense. Like, this, it's it's great. <laughs> It'll work. It'll be fine. <laughs> no one's gonna question it, really. No, no, nobody would. No, especially if you could get like four James Bonds together on a team <laughs> fighting. Like nobody would question that at all. We can just say he's from the future, and then <laughs> no. There you go. There you go. Uh, time technically, travel. he is a time lord. So you know. there you go. Yeah, he is. He is. The, the Timothy Dalton was president on Gallifrey before it was destroyed. So. That uh, that all could be accurate. There we go. See, see, we're figuring it out now. <laughs> I like where it's going. <laughs> now, you you mentioned um, kind of some of your your inspirations. What I guess as far as um, some other the- thematic inspirations or even gameplay in- inspirations, kind of what what drew you guys to um, to make this kind of game, and and what did you draw from while you were were making it? Um. So I think the original pitch for the game was, um, it was like, I think I wrote down Ghostbusters in space. Um, okay. And the original idea was that you would be these, this kind of, like, this kind of like Firefly universe, and you would hop from planet to planet, dropping beacons and exterminating aliens that have been like plaguing the planets. But that felt really kind of... Um, I'm not sure. Something didn't sit right with the gameplay. Um, so it ended up turning into, what if it was like like Alien, but it was kind of juxtaposed with this like cartoony art style? Um, and it originally started with like xenomorph-type creatures that were like stalking people on a ship, and you were like saving humanity's last bastion in space. And so you were literally protecting like the, the last of the human race. <laughs> um, mm. And that got real dark. And the gameplay that we were developing was not. It was really silly and funny. And we switched kind of concepts over to robots. And everything just started to feel a little goofy. But gameplay-wise, it wasn't. Or, it was, it was, or sorry, story-wise, it wasn't. And so we, we thought, like, what would kind of fit the gameplay a little bit more? And then that's how we obviously we got to the 1950s, like, kind of silly... Uh, robots like dudes in robot suits walking because um, that we felt like that fit a lot um, so in terms of inspirations um, obviously at first we were inspired by sort of higher sci-fi um, and then the first thing 
that we saw that made us go like maybe we maybe we could kind of go in this direction was Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that. I absolutely know. yes, that was so, actually I saw it in the theaters. That was a really uh, it was a real interesting take on everything, and the whole so, weird Marlon Brando head at the end was kind of odd. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, it's a movie about um, giant robots invading Earth, as it would yes. seem. And um, Sky Captain, you know, he obviously uh, <laughs> Sky Captain and yeah. um, Jude he, Law. Yeah, what Jude Law does. Um, and one of the iconic scenes in the movie is like this giant robot army that's like taller than skyscrapers walking down the street with these like biplanes shooting at them. Um, and we saw that and we were like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. But in kind of a funny way, which I think is kind of what we've been going for since then is cool, but in kind of a silly 1950s way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our, our first big inspiration. But then obviously once we started digging into it, War of the Worlds became a huge inspiration. Um, superhero comics, because our team's kind of like uh, like a superhero team. So a lot of superhero comics from the 50s. Um, this comic in particular called uh, Magnus Robot Fighter 2000 AD. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Probably not. I have not. What? Say it again? Magnus Robot Fighter 2000 AD. No, I've heard of regular 2000 AD, not the other one. Yeah, so maybe uh, when you get a chance, look that up. Uh, they had the cover that we saw, um, it had this guy karate chopping a robot, and he was wearing a skirt. And um, that was kind of the ending of our like inspiration of, like, okay, we need to put this in the game somehow. And that's sort of the genesis of our Spaceman character. So um, originally he was a lot more like Zap Brannigan. Um, but then we wanted to kind of take him in our own direction. And so now he's kind of like this mixture between like Magnus Robot Fighter, um, Kirk from, from Star Trek, and, uh, and, and then a little bit of Zap Brannigan in there. Um, so he's kind of like the space cowboy. And, 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 w- and when we kind of found that, uh, that kind of led some of the art direction as well because we were like, this comic looks really cool, but it's really stupid also. <laughs> um, and, and that was really fun to us. And so uh, that, that was a really big inspiration was that comic. Which is funny, but, um, and as far as games, um, in terms of like the shooting mechanics, Destiny was a really big inspiration. Um, Mark, uh, one of our co- the co-founders of the company, and I, we were really into Destiny when it first came out, and um, the shooting is really solid in that game. It's just really good, um, and it was kind of like a touch and feel thing. And obviously, we're, we're, our game is not like a hardcore shooter; it's an arcade shooter. You know, there's no iron sights. It's not like like precision accuracy, but we felt like there was something to learn from that, and so um, we that was a big inspiration for some of the shooting mechanics and um, some of the like meta game stuff. Um, but um, obviously, uh, base defense games are um, a big inspiration. Uh, games like uh, like like Sanctum was a really big inspiration. Um, I'm trying to think of a another example of. Something for for me. Did, did you play trenched any or I? Uh, I what, did. It became uh, Iron Brigade. I did. Um, that wasn't that wasn't at the beginning of the discussion, but obviously we went through and we played every game we could think of and sure. like through development um, because you know y- you should um, and. 
But in terms of games that actually inspired us, I think you know those are the big ones. Diablo also inspired us, but not not in in, in some of the ways you might think because it's not a loot game. Um, but our upgrade system uh, was in, uh, heavily not heavily inspired by Diablo um, in that it's free, it's open. You know, in, in Diablo nice. you three, you can kind of go where you want to go. Yeah. As, so as yeah. far as using the the types of uh, of things that you would choose rather than being stuck in like preset marks. Yeah, and and that was that was like the big takeaway from that um, was we didn't want people to be stuck once they chose to upgrade something because like the worst thing is to upgrade something and be like ah oh, this isn't really my play style or, or or something and then you're kind of stuck with it until you get more points or whatever. So our philosophy with the upgrades was to be really free and open. You know, once you choose to upgrade an item, um, then when you bring it in game, before you even put it down, you can choose your the direction you want to go so it's like it's very free form and if you don't like it you can always respec so like the the only restriction is the number of points you have to actually bring things in right so or the amount of things that you can upgrade and that allows you to have freedom of choice but also kind of restricts you so you have to think carefully about your loadout before you go into the into the map um yeah That's that's really cool though. Um, how how do some of the uh, upgrade mechanics work? You mentioned that it, it's free, but what all are you actually upgrading? Are you upgrading your your weapons, like your your character's abilities? Like what all? Like is it like you know upgrade this for more health or what? What kind of stuff do we actually have? To yes. Be upgrading? So you can upgrade everything, uh, every item you can bring into a map. Uh, so weapons and structures. Um, okay. What you can upgrade on them, so I'll give you an example. Um, the shotgun can be upgraded to shoot uh, incendiary shells, which will light, rub off some fire. And uh, it can be upgraded to uh, freeze. So that's a really simple example because it has two major mechanic shifts. So your standard shotgun is just going to do damage. Your, uh, your incendiary shells are going to do damage, but they're also going to light uh, Martians on fire. And the uh, I think I call them cryo shells. I can't remember what they're what they're called off the top of my head right now. They they will uh, they will freeze enemies for a short time. It's not as effective as using a freeze ray, right? But it's like adding some functionality to a shotgun. Whereas the freeze the freeze ray, you can make it do a little bit more damage, so it's not just uh, utility. Uh, okay. So we really wanted each upgrade to like kind of take you in a mechanical direction. Um, as much as we could, where it made sense. Um, so, really trying to change the functionality. Um, for instance, we have um, flamethrower uh, infantry guys that run around with like flamethrowers, and um, you can change their flamethrower into like an ice thrower. Again, playing with the fire and ice mechanics. Um, you can turn a grenade into a lightning grenade, which will obviously chain between guys. Um, those types of mechanics. So it's you're really picking between like two distinctly different mechanics when you upgrade an item. Okay. <clears throat> now you mentioned that you're you're upgrading this stuff um, outside and and bringing it into the game. So it's this this is persistent upgrades across kind of the game. It's it's not stuff that you're purchasing upgrades in the middle of the battle, more like a, a MOBA or, or something like that. Yeah, no, you don't do that. Uh, you, okay. you, you, up, you choose, basically, you, when you level up, you get uh, an allotment of points to use, right? Mm -hmm. And you use those points to upgrade and 
and also uh, unlock items because you don't start with everything, obviously. So you choose what you're going to unlock, and that's a point. And if you want to upgrade something, that's another point. But once it's upgraded, when you bring it into battle, then when you choose it to put it in your loadout, then you select an upgrade from there. So it's like like the moment you're going to put it like into into play, that's when you pick your upgrade. Not like it's not a static choice that like you're stuck with it any in any way. So. Gotcha. Um, then if you choose if you choose to if you're like ah well i didn't really you know i i kind of preferred the tnt launcher over the shotgun then you can respect and kind of redistribute your points and that there's no real cost to that it's more about like tactics and like what you're bringing than just like how strong you are okay very cool very cool so that's a nice way to do it especially when you consider that a lot of tower defense games are so solely focused on like you know the the kind of in the moment mechanics of having to upgrade towers and kind of keep those those running to kind of have static upgrades that, that follow you and that makes the the whole thing feel more like yours rather than just okay well how do I get this to this point in this particular level? Yeah, and we definitely wanted uh, players to have like a sense of ownership about it. And the game is you know the game is purely like your strategy is all tactic. It's like how can I manage these units while like cutting them off here and, and all of that so it's really not about like upgrading stuff in on the fly because i think it would like go against the flow of the game actually just simply because it's more tactical um yeah nice now previously um clapfoot has made like pretty much all mobile games this is a, a pretty big departure yeah uh What's what has that been like? Kind of going from you know a, a touch interface to a you know seemingly what would be a lot more complicated experience of you know kind of a third person shootery tower defense game game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been real different. Um, definitely, um, we used to work with our own engine as well, um, hmm. which. Uh, that has obviously positives and negatives, um, but so one of the biggest challenges has been migrating our workflow. The workflow is totally different. Um, that that was very very challenging, but um, it's just a bigger thing in general. Like, you know, we uh, someone made a joke the other day. Like the size of like the executable file on the PC version of the game is bigger than our last game. <laughs> so like just as kind of like to put it in perspective like it's it's physically bigger it's it's just a bigger thing and uh we're super happy about it it it's like definitely what we want to be doing um are we we're happy with our mobile games but we definitely this is like kind of what we want to be doing so you're, you're still there's still you guys saw plans to keep going in, in you know to keep it up in the mobile space or is is kind of the you know, uh, setting you guys up for just more kind of larger releases. Um, the plan right now is to main. We're gonna maintain our current games, but we're not actively developing any more mobile games. We're moving forward with um, like more premium experiences. Is kind of what we like to call them, uh, because it's just where our heart is. To be honest, like you know, we we're struggling with sort of the almost the moral quandaries of some of the parts of mobile games, you know, we didn't really want to be doing like microtransactions 
and stuff like that because we felt it kind of got in the way of making a game fun and it got in the way of the mechanics and we tried many different ways of like working it in to make it work but we our hearts just weren't it just felt like we were spending more time on that than making the game so it really came down to like we want to make games (laughs) to be fun (laughs) and there's a lot of politics and stuff that goes into the mobile market like you you have your game pretty much has to be free and it has to be sort of uh built on microtransactions in order to succeed um and or even in order to just be seen you know what i mean so like uh we really just wanted to make fun games that people really enjoy and that people can really get into and really like um fun and polished multiplayer experiences that's kind of like what we want our focus to be um going forward um that's been a big challenge with fortified is you know getting all that working and getting that going and we really enjoyed that challenge in particular so that's i think what we're going to do in the future awesome have there been any um kind of like challenges or anything that you you didn't expect kind of moving into the uh the i guess you know quote unquote premium space the console uh pc arena um yeah, you know, working working on consoles, like getting your game certified, is certainly a fun uh, fun experience that you know we thought it would be a little bit easier than it was. Um, but it's it, uh, it ultimately you know it made the game better. So like, and by better I mean like the experience is very polished. Um, so like, making the multiplayer content was was very hard as well. You know, getting networking to work perfectly, like all that stuff. It seems easy on paper. Like you say, like, well, make a multiplayer game. That sounds fun, but like, that's a lot of work. Like, you know, there's a reason there's like network specialists and stuff on big AAA teams. Um, that stuff takes a, a lot. Um, but once you get it working, it's like magic. So um, it, it's really rewarding. Uh, and even though it was a challenge, like, that's what we set out to do, and we did it. So, like, nothing else. Like, that's what's important is that we make like fun exciting like multiplayer games um the only other the the other the other big challenge is testing like i was saying earlier um testing these games is really important like if if nobody's if if, if you can't put it in front of people you can't you can't get away from it like it, when you when you get people playing the game it gives you a perspective that isn't so close to the project and that's always like the hard part is like your your face is right in front of the screen and you've been staring at it for so long and you just don't kind of you kind of don't see you don't see the forest for the trees you know what i mean like it's it's really hard to get some perspective but then as soon as other people play it it kind of snaps you back to reality and then you're like okay this is what we got to do and that was also a big thing is like we underestimated the testing and obviously we learned on the fly and when we got that uh, we we definitely got lots of testing done, um, but new eyes on a game is always like it validates or invalidates game design decisions, right? So you have to you have to have that, otherwise you can't know, and then you're just gonna put it out, and who knows? Yeah, sure. totally. I mean, in a vacuum, anything can seem like it's a great idea, but once you get it out into people, it's real easy to tell almost right away if if you've either been working on something great or if it's a complete dud. Exactly. Um, and we had four to f- we had people playing four to five like within th- a month of our first prototype, 
which wow. which was it was real rough when but we were just at like local conventions they were kind of small so it was a really good kind of like um it was like a waiting pool and then you know that helped us kind of like okay the people are having fun with this stuff but they weren't having fun with this stuff so kind of adjust and and react and try to figure out what made things fun like what were we doing that people really liked and kind of hone in on those aspects um and kind of try to get rid of the frustrating parts um or the parts that just didn't seem useful or didn't seem fun um and by doing that over and over again and we you know we went to four paxes last year um super useful like incredibly useful just to see people playing the game and see how they pick up the controller like that's really important too right like how are they interacting with it do they understand what's going on um those types of things are invaluable especially when designing the game <laughs> like to understand how people are going to interact with it is vital and that was i think that was one of the bigger challenges that we weren't expecting but i'm really glad that we discovered it sure sure yeah um you guys worked with uh id at xbox yeah what what was that like we we have not actually got to talk to too many people that have worked with that program um i don't know the ins and outs on the like the business side of things sure um uh, but from my knowledge, it's been really well. Like, uh, you know, we haven't heard too much. It's been pretty smooth. You know, they are really fast when it comes when we submit to like cert and stuff. Like, they're back really fast. Uh, they were great on the business end, supporting us. You know, they we had a booth at GC last year with them. Um, oh, nice. It was uh, like like I said, I don't know too much on like the business side. I don't know if they're big jerks or something. And like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my boss just didn't tell me, but. Uh, it seems like it seems like they weren't. It seems like they, everything was like really fantastic. Like, uh, I mean, sometimes you hear people like ragging on Microsoft, and I, from my experience with them, I don't understand. Uh, it seems, it seems good, and you know, working with the Xbox One is, hasn't been that hasn't been bad at all. Um, it's, it, it was. I mean, making a console game was <laughs> the hard part, not the part where it was an <laughs> Xbox One, right? So, um, nice. Yeah, that's just one of those things where it seems like a big you know, black box. It's like, unless you're, I guess, you know, working in it, you just have no idea what it's like. So there's just, it seems like there's all this speculation around it. And it, it's always kind of interesting to see when somebody's actually worked with it. Um, so that's cool. Glad it's, glad it's going well for you. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. That's really good to hear, especially when it was coming towards the end of like, uh, you know, like last generation with the, uh, all the problems of getting things to cert and pushing things through. Um, a yeah. lot of those stories that we heard to to hear that it's going through real quick and easy and and it's letting you guys like kind of get your updates out there. That's a that's a real good sign. Yeah. Um. And you know, like I I have an Xbox One at home and it's great. Like I don't know, I use it all the time. Um. So I have I have you know both PS4 and Xbox One and and they're, and they're both great. Like they're both equal as far as I can tell. You know, from my I'm not a programmer either, so that <laughs> I don't maybe. Maybe there's something I don't know, but uh, to me they seem uh, both pretty powerful and equal, and like they're on even playing ground as far as like as far as just like the user experience. Like if you purchase either, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, do you guys have plans to to move it to the PS4, or is that? Just focusing on the uh, console or the Xbox and PC release. Right, um, right now. now we're just focusing on the Xbox and PC release, and I, I, we don't have anything to say about anything, any other ports or anything right now. Okay. Cool. All right, Brian, do you have any uh, more questions before we jump into the end game? No, no, I'm definitely uh, fine with that. Uh, 
So we like to normally end our our, uh, our interviews with a bit of a uh, questionnaire. Uh, sure. It's more focused on you uh, than the studio or the game. Sure. And so we'll just we'll jump right in here. Um, first question: uh, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? That's a good question. Favorite? Yeah, we like to start out real strong. You might need to give me a moment. That's like difficult, like to just drop. Yeah, um, take a moment yeah. to consider. They yeah. only get harder from here. <laughs> um, you know, j- just because I played it recently, I don't really know, like if. <laughs> If if it's like truly my favorite, but just it's the first thing that popped in my head. So, um, uh, Big Boss from Metal Gear Solid Three. In particular, okay. in particular, Naked Snake. Uh, from Naked Metal Snake. Gear Solid okay, 3. absolutely. Um, just there's there's something about that game and just his the his sense of humor in the situations that he was in. Uh, it it just uh, like something stuck. Like I play I just played through all the Metal Gear Solid games recently, um, so it was all new to me. But that game in particular stood out. Uh, among all five of them, um, and and Naked Snake in particular was like, like I really didn't like Solid Snake that much, but Naked Snake was really funny. I, it's almost the same character, but it's not. Like I don't know if you guys have played them, but I I have, I think most of them. I played two, so I'm not the right person to ask. I I played the first two, and that was. More than enough for me. However, I have watched the rest, rest of them, um, <laughs> including a, a very crazy run that uh, that one of my friends had done in Metal Gear Solid Three. So, uh, they I think that the, as far as boss fights go, that one was definitely I think the most um, kind of interesting up until this last one, which looks to be more gameplay than story wise, uh, kind of superior to the rest. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid mm-hmm. Five was like a, a phenomenal video game. Yeah. Uh, like as a video game, um, but on the story side, it was it was a bit lighter than I was expecting, but it was still good. I mean, it was still like rewarding. It was just like the gameplay was like doing stuff that I haven't seen before, or even thought about actually. Um, but the three, I don't know, like just the the writing. I sorry, I guess I'm speaking to the wrong crowd, but the writing in three was funny. Like um, it was funny, but it was also like this big spy thriller, like from the 80s. Oh, absolutely. Like, so like for something about that, just grabbed me. And yeah, I'm my not problem even... with it was always the fact that I, I never liked them as I, I thought the the stories were fantastic and completely mm-hmm. out of this world. But just moving around that world was always difficult for me. It wasn't anything that I ever got used to. So I, I was much more comfortable kind of sitting back and watching other people who were much better at it than I was, um, kind of go to it. I'd I'd be kind of interested to kind of go back to it now that I have a bit more of a handle on um, like shooters and shootery things this past couple of years. Um, because of, like the stuff that they introduced in two, where you kind of look down the sites and kind of track things that way. Uh, but there's, yeah, I, I just never gelled with that, with like the movement system that he had and the, the gameplay system. So I, I really, I'm interested to check out five since that's such a departure from everything else. Uh, but I've, I've absolutely kept up like story wise because uh, Kojima is just so nuts. Yeah, um, three. Like I don't know. Do you play Dark Souls or any of those games at all? Either no, I, but again, I, more watching. <laughs> I, 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 like I don't watch them because I, <laughs> I I put like 12 hours into Dark Souls before I, I just gave up on life. Um, <laughs> well, I, so. I kind of equate three, three, Metal Gear Solid 3 is kind of like Dark Souls. It's very, okay. it's very similarly paced and like kind of the like risk reward challenge is almost 
like identical. It just doesn't seem that way. <laughs> like on the surface, it seems like a shooter or something, but it's it's really it's a really brutal game. It's very difficult, um, especially at first when you're getting a handle on it. Um, but it it definitely feels old. Like if you played it now, it's still gonna feel really old. But Naked Snake is really good. Yep, Naked Snake is a man. I I, I really liked uh, the end. Ah uh, yes, yeah the 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 boss fight. Yeah, that that yeah. that dude was super cool, and the fact that they just put in goofy things like if you change the date on your PlayStation to like forever, he would die on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'd find him like already just done. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that until after, but it, and I probably spent like an hour fighting him. Yep. So for for reference, he's like this old, like really really old sniper, and his whole thing is he can just sit still for like years if he needs to, and you have to find him in like camouflage so like he's fully camouflaged and like in the bushes and you just have to find him with your scope by like finding a flash of light on his scope and then like either chase him down or try to shoot him and it's like this really long grueling fight um yeah <laughs> oh hold on dogs apparently they were really into the end fight as well <laughs> uh next question who's your favorite antagonist and a video game. <laughs> video game, unless you want to, like, you know, quickly delve outside of them for some odd reason. I'll accept just about anything for a bad guy. I love hearing about getting bad, bad guys or bad girls or bad everything. I feel like I should have a really good answer for this, but it's, like, not coming to me. Um... Nothing sticks out. I want it to be like really good. <laughs> but, um, you know what? I'm going to go uh-huh. back to Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> Do it. Uh, right. The boss in Metal Gear Solid 3. Okay. Fine. Like the, the boss, the boss. The boss. Uh, yeah. She yes. is one of the best written characters. I, I, it's, okay, I'm thinking about Metal Gear Solid 3 because I just, this is the only thing that came to mind. It's, I, again, I probably have a better answer, but the boss is just like, um, the moment that, like, it, the final, spoiler, she's the, kind of the final boss of the game. Um, the moment that confrontation happens, it's like heart wrenching because the boss is like trained Naked Snake this whole time, and I don't know, it was just a really great, um, sort of twist because she wasn't really a bad guy. Yeah, she, she wasn't she was really kind a bad of guy. Was- framed. Very, very Snape-esque. Mm-hmm. If we go back to Harry Potter, because why not? But just in, in that she was doing the, the, the bad thing kind of for the, the best reason that she could, even though it was still for kind of bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, 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 the best antagonist I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, that works. Totally down with that. Uh, next question: um, Are there any um, uh, trends or or things going on in video games today that um, aren't quite as big as you'd like them to be? Like anything that somebody's working on, or or uh, or any kind of ideas out there that should be like more uh, pro- that proliferate more than they already are? That's a really good question. Um... I told you they only get harder. Except for like question number five. Question number five is kind of fun. <laughs> They're all kind of um... fun, but question number five. 
Hmm. I think like um there's been like this f- sort of falling out of like really really high quality like AAA like narrative games. Um it sort of seems to be a lot of games are going towards like this exploration heavy or like crafting heavy. Um that seems to be a really big trend uh, or like purely competitive. Uh, not not so much like even cooperative. Uh, obviously, there are games of every like everybody's making all kinds of games, but um, the like Bioware style of game, they're the only ones kind of making it, where it's a gameplay style mixed with like heavy narrative. There are games that are just narrative, and there are games that are just gameplay. But there's not a lot mixing them in the way that like Bioware does. Mm. Does that make sense? So. I, I feel like I would like to see more of that, but like, obviously of high quality, <laughs> that would be obviously very good. Um, sure. Uh, now, quick question back to uh, Fortified: Is there any sort of um, story mode to to the game, or is it all multiplayer? Um, it's 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 solo and, and multiplayer, but the story is just weaved in. It's the story is very light. It's kind of takes a backseat. Okay. Um, but it's there. You'll 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 figure out like kind of the state of things as you kind of go through the game. Um, but it's it's not the focus at all. Gotcha. All right. Question number four: um, Are there any tropes in video games that you'd like to see just go the hell away? What's your least favorite thing that you're like, you know what? Just, I'm done with this. These are hard. You're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of think um, trying to find the right way to wear this um, sort of the like the like sexy visual novel that seems to flood steam makes me kind of uncomfortable there are a ton of those yes and um, I agree I'm not super sure why that's a huge trend but um, <laughs> it's it's made you know it makes it makes me uncomfortable just to like open steam sometimes which like I love steam obviously uh, and I have I have like 300 games on steam or something and I, I love using it but I, I just it makes me uncomfortable I don't know that's... they've certainly seemed to have kind of blown up over the past year haven't they yeah, and I, I don't really know I don't really know what that's about. Um, yeah. I think that's <laughs> I think that's that's pretty much like the the, the thing that annoyed that was the first thing that popped into my head. So it has to annoy me at least a little bit. No, that's that's perfectly acceptable. I I have to say that at least um, there's at least one to two every time I kind of go through the queue that they put up every day. And I'm yeah. like, well, I'm just I'm constantly amazed at the number that I've. I've selected not interested in, and I'm like, what? Well, they keep finding them to bring in. This is, this is kind <laughs> of incredible. I mean, and I want everybody to like be really creative and do lots of stuff, and I, I love to see new, and new stuff. Are, and, there's, and I'm sure that there's a, there's a there's a, a va- uh, not a I wouldn't say vast, but at least there's a a portion of video games people who are you know they love every one of those that come out. Hmm. I almost I, wish I almost wish you like filter them out somehow with while still getting like other adventure <laughs> games. I love I love adventure games as well, so it'd be nice to get you know 
the United States had the best of both worlds, so people who want to play those kind of games can still find those kind of games and be able to purchase them, while also allowing other people to filter things out. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, you know, I don't know how stores work, and I don't know how difficult. It's probably incredibly difficult to uh, to manage that stuff on, on Valve's end. Sure. And I, I think that's one of the, the big challenges. I think it's gotten better in the last year or so with the, the curation lists and stuff like that that Steam has done. Uh, they're yeah, they're trying to do more with it, but that that's always been one of the just terrible things about the digital world uh, in terms of buying video games that way is it's just just hell to find good games if it's not like the top ten good games. Yeah, I think it's really hard to do a digital marketplace. I mean, like even if you look at like iTunes, like even that's not like a good place, and they've been doing it the longest. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's I think it there's just maybe something someone hasn't figured out yet and once they do like everybody will but uh but because i definitely don't want to say like hey stop making sexy video games because they should exist sure but i I just we should be i I just don't want to see them (laughs) yeah you know what actually maybe that's it it's like the inability to filter digital marketplaces that's my official answer okay i can roll with that i like the uh both the efficiency and the uh just the, 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 the smart, civilized way that was laid out. I like that. Uh, next question. Um, if you had no restrictions um, outside of creating games, is there any other profession you would like to try? Um, yeah, I would, uh, I would really like to get into film. Or, like, you know, specifically TV or uh, episodic visual storytelling <laughs> um i make a web series uh in my spare time so that's definitely like if i wasn't making games i'd probably be trying to do that um cool that's very cool that's a great answer uh penultimate question um if you could go back and play any game for the first time what would it be uh chrono trigger hmm uh, uh, that but, was that was fast. That was quick. I like it. Why? Chrono, Chrono Trigger, like, I love Chrono Trigger, but why? Chrono Trigger is like my all-time favorite game. Uh, it was the first game that just like grabbed me. Um, I just uh, it was like a magical moment. Uh, I remember like sitting down uh, in front of my TV like as a kid uh, with my stepdad, and we were going through like the booklet and discovering all the different characters and like you know. Chrono uses a katana, and like it was just like this magical moment as a kid where my my imagination was like exploding, and I still remember it super vividly. So if I could go back and not know any of that, and play that game again for the first time, I think that would be just like priceless, right? So how long? And uh, I'm at the end of the game or towards the end of the game, uh, Melquire. The the, the mm. master smith um, has this list of things that's going on right before the end before you take on Lavos. Mm. How long did you search for the person who was in peril before realizing that you couldn't find anybody? Probably a while. Yeah. But then, I... but then, but then, you know, once you do everything else, he's like, "Yeah, you go find Lavos now." Yeah, he does, but like that, that, that one never goes away, and it was because of a weird like translation bug. Yeah, and it just it always killed me because I spent I probably spent a good 20, 20 hours just scouring everything, trying to figure out what the hell was going on with that. 
And it was Maybe totally I, ridiculous. I don't remember that in particular, but I think I probably was just like, ah, it's fine. Like they're probably they're, they're probably all right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, like my kid Brent. Lavos, everything will be fine. It'll all be fine. Yeah. Um. Or I can or I can come back. It's it's okay. It's not a big like. I don't know. <laughs> I definitely don't. I don't remember that in particular. I don't know why I don't know that. I have played this game like twenty times. Yeah. I never I never actually knew that that was a thing. But cool. It, now I know something. You just taught me something new. But yeah, there you go. It was always it was always something that just struck me as as crazy. And and with as much time as I spent with it when I was younger. Um, I, I forget where it was, but I was reading something about it, and that's where it struck me. And I was like, you know what? I searched for that person forever. Um, the, the consensus is that it was uh, uh, Skylia, uh, Magus's sister, um, okay. and that they just that, that that part, or you know, you end up actually saving her if you try the if you go through the um, the craft to get to Lavos instead of just going straight to the end. So I, it's all kinds of craziness in that game. I loved every bit of it. So I, I'm. I'm totally uh, happy to hear that that's the one you'd go back and do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Final question. At the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is there with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? <laughs> this is a real, like, self-fulfilling question. Um Yep. You, you were a really great person and you made some cool stuff that's that's pretty much like you made people happy with the stuff that you made that's nice that's pretty much you know that's what i want to do that is that is as fair as it comes so yeah. great answer um thank you very much that is the you've come to the end of the end game awesome um I, as we said we told you earlier that there would be kudos for you to collect um you have all of them Sweet. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> um, Jonathan, take us home. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us and talking about so many things, and especially Fortified. If you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game. Um, you can go to the... You can search Fortified on Steam. You can find us on our Steam page there. You can find us on Xbox One, on the store. Um, Clapbookgames.com slash Fortified. But yeah, you can find us. I mean, if you Google Fortified Game, you know, you'll, you'll get us. Um, you can obviously also on Twitter, uh, Clapfoot on Twitter. Uh, we, we tweet about everything to do with the game. We tweet, you know, stuff, some behind the scenes stuff, little gifts and stuff of our characters. Uh, we've been in spotlight videos every week on YouTube. It's Clapfoot on YouTube. Um, and uh, every week we're kind of uh, up until launch, which is next week. Um, we're kind of showcasing different features of the game. Um, so, you know, pretty much we're all over the internet right now. Um, all right. Well, Matt, thank you again, and good luck as you guys kind of finalize and, like, squash all the, the last few bugs that you can and as you go forward living the dream. Awesome. Thank you. That was, uh, it was a good time. 